Welcome to the Guardian Podcast with Ren Melberg. My name is Harold Nichol. Some of the most listened to and talked about programs that we've done this year were about some specific organizations who were grappling with certain governance issues. So this week, we're going to see what has happened with these groups and what types of changes have been made since we first talked about them. Now, the first of these was the FIFA organization. And for people like me who do not follow soccer, or as it's known as football, this is the group that runs uh, the global professional soccer teams and World Cup competitions. And when we talked about this a few months ago, Ren, the U.S. Attorney General Loretta Lynch was really going after FIFA. What's happened since to a group that to a lot of people seemed like were above the law or was above the law? Right. And kind of why there was a perception they were above the law is because they're a rarefied position. I mean, mm-hmm. um, FIFA combines the global love for soccer, which is the world's most popular sport, um, with nationalism. And a lot of countries have used their FIFA membership to prove their recognition and value on the international stage. And Mm. so, for instance, when Israel first uh, fielded a team, it was a big deal. And it is for a lot of countries, uh, newer countries, as they emerge um, into the international um, world. And... Seth Blatter, who is a former president, he's resigned since we last talked about this, mm-hmm. um, he's also the founder, and he really has taken advantage of this rarefied position, mm-hmm. um, according to the indictments, and used it basically as a cash cow, him and, and um, I think it's 22 other people have been indicted so far. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a lot. In the hundreds of millions of dollars in terms of corruption, and at this point, they're outpacing Enron, Tyco, Accenture. You know, many of the other huge financial corruption scandals that everybody's so familiar with. FIFA seems to be larger than that, or FIFA, excuse me. Um, so with the resignation of Seth Blatter, who may still run for re-election in February, so they're holding a special election for a new president and new board members in February 2016, um, and he's still working it like he's planning on running. But um, FIFA has announced some plans for reforms. However, the U.S. and other countries are not satisfied because it still does not include an independent commission or an independent board overseeing FIFA activity. Member organizations have announced new reforms that do include independent governance, audit processes, and other third-party oversight. All of it's targeted to rid the organization um, of corruption, but all of that is done at these um, sort of a continent level, Uh if you think about it. So the United States belongs to the North American League. Uh, Brazil is a South American league, and those two in particular have announced some pretty significant uh, deep and sweeping reforms. The other thing that's kind of interesting, I think, since our last conversation on this is the U.S. prosecution is moving forward pretty aggressively, Mm -hmm. even though they are 
bumping up against multiple issues with international law. There are still significant questions about what is the U.S. Um, prosecutorial judi- uh, jurisdiction. Can they prosecute the FIFA leaders for crimes that were committed outside of U.S. borders? And yeah, so far, it looks like they can, because many of those transactions occurred through U.S. banks or U.S. institutions. Yeah, that's interesting that um, that they went through um, the banks here in the U.S. But you know, as somebody who admittedly doesn't doesn't really follow soccer, it just sounded like the whole organization was was corrupt, and that really the only thing to do was maybe start over. I don't know if they have to go to that level yet. I think the elections in February are going to be really um, telling. Mm -hmm. And the voting members are the boards of the six confederations, so those almost continental groups, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, They need to elect new board members and a new um, president. Unfortunately, the only known candidates are either current or past board members. And what they're being encouraged to do from their fans and from other governance authorities is to seriously look at not reelecting any current or past board members and start the board almost from scratch. Yeah, I, I really agree with that sentiment. And can FIFA survive, or is it time, like we say, or like you just recommended, just a whole different governing body? Do you think having just different candidates is enough? I think so, and what we've seen so far as far as the reaction from the six confederations is that it could be. I think the emotional reaction that people have to the World Cup and that we have another one coming up just in a couple of years, it would be too damaging to the fans and too disruptive to the fans to start over. And I think that's why the, well, we know that's why the confederations are working so hard to build um, fan confidence within their independent confederations and to improve corruption or not improve corruption, but I mean get rid of <laughs> improve governance, get right. rid of corruption within their their confederations. So at least they can say they're clean. Yeah. There's still also opportunity for um, at the international law level um, to make some changes that could definitely benefit World Cup fans. Yeah, and that there's another competition and, and coming up. I'm going to have to take your word for it on, on that because, <laughs> like I it's said... It's been a couple of years. You're safe. Okay, good, good. Now, another piece of news that reported some stunning governance failures was an article from the Reuters-owned Forbes magazine about the CEO of the Dow Chemical Company, a man named Andrew Liveris. The article states that there were many years of impropriety by Mr. Liveris and complacency on the part of those charged with overseeing the behavior of all employees at Dow, including the CEO. Most significant was the retraction of shareholder statements because of executive compensation that had been misreported mm-hmm. and there was no action taken by the board. So since we talked about it, Ren, what's become of Dow and Mr. Liveris? Well, the first, I think the big thing <laughs> isn't a surprise to us or anybody in our audience, 
because we kind of predicted it in the pod- podcast, which is that the SEC has stepped in mm-hmm. and is now investigating Dow and Mr. Lewis. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and the stock has reacted. They've, they've lost about 6% of their value mm-hmm. since that time. The very first day when it was announced, they lost almost 2%. Yikes. That's pretty significant for a company of that size. Yeah, I'd say. Um, and this problem with an SEC investigation, why the market is showing their lack of confidence for Mr. Oliveris on the board of Dow, is that this opens a door for the SEC to look at and investigate other items. Mm-hmm. And the SEC knows that where there's smoke, there's pretty much guaranteed to be fire. Right. So if they see <laughs> improper activities happening at this level, then they know, as we talked about last time, that means it's, a, it's cultural. Okay. And it's very likely, or I shouldn't say guarantees it's cultural, but you pretty much know it's cultural. And that means it's very likely that the SEC is going to find significantly significant other improprieties, and that's why they want to get in the door. Yeah, I, I really agree that um, it certainly opens a door. When I was doing the, my homework for our conversation today, what I saw that Dow had announced that they had had a great second quarter that they had decided to build a new headquarters campus in Midland, Michigan, and that Mr. Liveris um, had written a, an article about his disappointment that Congress didn't reauthorize the the XM Bank. It sounds like, or looks like, business as usual at Dow. Are they right to at least seem this unconcerned? They are, and the... There's two things going on. One of it is crisis management. Mm-hmm. When there's a problem, sometimes you pretend there isn't. Oh, yeah. And sometimes it'll go away, or you can make it go away. Yeah. Um, the other thing is they've been getting away with it for so long mm-hmm. that there really isn't a reason for them to believe that they can't continue to do so. Yeah. Yeah, it, uh it does seem like hubris or maybe uh, being isolated from from the rest of the world may be, may be affecting them. And um, we will keep everybody up to speed on what happens at Dow. And then finally, the cruise industry, and by that we mean specifically ocean passenger cruises on ships that are registered in foreign countries but are actually filled mostly with Americans. Here until recently, that was the most listened to of the Guardian podcast, and so much of the outrage stemmed from crimes that are committed at sea by by crew members mostly, and the lack of intervention or responsibility from the cruise lines. And while incidents at sea were what we first talked about, the new sense has been about accidents that occur during shore excursions, things just seem to have gone from bad to worse for the cruise industry, Ren, or or did I miss something? No, I think you might be right on this one. I mean, there's a couple reasons I say that. Um, One is we are seeing more incidences. There are watchdog groups that track these things. 
and they've seen a noticeable uptick last year, and that trend has continued into this year. Like you said, crimes committed by crew members on the ship, but also crimes committed against passengers during onshore excursions, including ones that um, they're, they've gone with crew members, mm. which is really surprising to me. <laughs> Um, and other things we've noticed is there's also an uptick um, in other um, incidences on the cruise ships. So what we've seen is, unlike the two previous topics, mm-hmm. where we're seeing some progress, right? We're seeing some movement in FIFA to um, attack systemic Corruption. Right. We're seeing movements by the SEC to look at for financial um, improprieties at Dow. Right? We're seeing progress. Unfortunately, right. in the cruise industry, we're not seeing any of that. And instead, what we're seeing is an uptick in perception by current cruise passengers and prospective cruise passengers that the industry doesn't care. Yeah, it does seem shocking, and as of anything we've talked about on the program in the months we've been doing it, this is the thing that's um, been the most surprising. Um, you mentioned the excursion incidents. There's drownings and float plane crashes, and people who seem to just simply vanish from from onboard ships. And it doesn't sound to me, Ren, like you believe the industry takes the safety of its passengers very seriously. We're not seeing signs of that. You know, again, when we talked about this on the early podcast, I made the correlation to the hotel industry when they had a sudden problem of um, hotel rooms being broken into and and, um, guests were robbed. And then also some incidences of rooms being broken into while the guests were in them and the guests were assaulted, including raped. And in one case, a flight attendant was murdered. Um, The hotel industry got together as an industry and changed the safety standards for the entire industry. Mm -hmm. That is what, you know, we call my profession textbook governance. That's what you're supposed to do. Right. We haven't seen any signs of that from the cruise industry. And again, I come back to, we do regulation one because regulations are really just laws for corporations, Mm -hmm. but we do it because they're not taking care of business. The cruise industry has an opportunity to self-govern. They're not doing it. And that's why we have these um, passenger advocacy groups fighting so hard to change international and U.S. law. If the cruise industry would step up and do the right thing, we wouldn't need (laughs) these changes in regulations and the laws. And something to think about that I think is really critically important is that uh, there is this website that I think any prospective cruise passenger should look at, Mm -hmm. cruisejunkie.com, and they track incidents, a number of incidences on cruise ships going back to 1995, but probably the most telling is the number of disappeared passengers, and the average since 2004, I think it is, is about 20 per year. Man. It's crazy. 
people just disappear. That is so crazy. So far in 2015, there are 15 passengers that are missing. So we're tracking way above average and actually tracking for this year to be the highest since they've started tracking in 1995. Unbelievable. Um, and again, you know, I looked at some of the cruise line websites in preparation for our conversation this week and some of them had posted um, some very specific things about the health and safety of passengers and others hadn't Um, Mm -hmm. but you mentioned you know that the other two we were seeing progress but in this one they're going the other way do you think the cruise industry can still turn it around of course they can if they take passenger safety issues seriously but that's not what we're seeing so I also watched those and it was kind of crazy I mean the passenger safety videos don't talk about the things that prospective passengers talk about they don't talk about food safety for instance they don't talk about health safety for instance there are no policies that if I get the flu that I can rebook my my cruise without penalties so that I don't get an entire ship of people sick actually if I try to I'm significantly financially penalized and sometimes in some cases the penalty to change my trip is more expensive than what I originally paid for my cruise ticket wow which is completely backwards right yeah the only video the videos I could find were all about safe evacuations there was nothing about what to do if a crime is committed on the ship what to do if you fall off the ship we talked about in the last um, podcast how easy and inexpensive it is to equip bracelets for all passengers that alert if they fall off into the ocean. That's right. And the cruise ships are still not doing that. Instead, what they're doing is they're treating this as a marketing issue. They're offering kids-free promotions and cheap Wi-Fi and things like that to get people to take cruises and they're not addressing the core issue. Like we talked about this before in in America, the joke is about poop cruises. Right. Right? Which isn't, isn't the usual humor about bodily functions, right? What people are really responding to that is they know these cruises are not safe and that people get, get seriously sick and that people could die from the illnesses that you can get on a cruise. And the fact that this is front of mind for so many people, when they think about taking a cruise, means that their safety is the most important thing. And you're not going to solve and make people feel safer by giving them kids-free promotions. Nope. And cheap Wi-Fi. So it's not a marketing issue. And it's a safety and security. And they seem to be deaf, um, for lack of a better word, Mm -hmm. to what the real consumer concerns are. And I think if they really listened to their consumers and really addressed the issues that are um, causing the decline of American um, passengers, and they attacked those issues like the hotel industry did, mm-hmm. we'd see a, a pretty marked turnaround in the cruise industry. Well, I, I couldn't have said it better because, as you point out, um, this is not a marketing issue. And I guess 
they're, like you said earlier, just kind of hoping that this will all blow over. It's mm -hmm. clearly not a marketing problem, although they will have marketing problems in the form of a lot of unsold tickets if, um, if they persist and just don't go by the types of things that you've outlined today and when we talked about this mm -hmm. earlier. Right, and one thing with that is, you know, some of the executives have already talked about leaving the U.S. Um, market and will this market to other countries. Do they really believe that, you know, Portugal, Brazil, uh, France wouldn't have the identical safety and, and health concerns? Of course. Of course they do. Yeah. And so they can change their location and who they're marketing to. But if they don't change their behavior and improve their governance practices, they're going to see the same reaction in France that they've been seeing in the United States and Canada. Absolutely. Those people care about their families and loved ones just like anybody does any place. Exactly. Well, of course, we will keep everybody listening up to date on developments with these three cases and I'm sure others in the months to come. Now, for those of you who are listening on SoundCloud or iTunes or some other MP3 service, the best way to keep up with Ren and the podcast and things that she has presented to the industry is to go to her website, which is www.renmelberg.com. There's a great video there entitled Living La Vida Agile and white papers to download. And if you want to be in touch with Ren directly, that's the place to go. And Ren, we have to mention that because we pick up listeners from all over the place who may not know about your website. <laughs> so thanks for joining us this week for our conversation about governance. And be sure to come back next week for another edition of The Guardian Podcast with Ren Melberg. Okay, we're out.